what would you say were the in the research you did were the big flags, red flags mm -hmm. for why this person probably won't be a great relationship partner for you long term? Mm -hmm. What are those big red flags that you think that everyone should be looking out for? I mean, first and foremost is that issue of not communicating. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Suffering from aches and pains? The all-new Tempur-Pedic Adapt Mattress eases your pressure points all night, every night. Now, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets at TempurPedic.com. Select adjustable mattress sets only. Lesser savings may apply. Welcome back, everyone in School of Greatness. Very excited about our guest, the icon. Eric Barker in the house. Good to see you, man. Welcome it's back. To be here. Welcome back to the show. It's been a few years. Yeah. Uh, you've got an amazing new book, Play Well with Others, The Surprising Science Behind Why Everything You Know About Relationships Is Mostly Wrong. I want to start with this question. What do you think are the three biggest things people get wrong about love and, and relationships in general? Well, I mean, I think the first thing people think is that you know, we can just kind of avoid problems. That com that conflict is bad, conflict is gonna grow, and the truth is, you gotta have those hard conversations. Mm. The majority of marriages don't end in yelling and screaming. The majority of marriages end when people live parallel lives. You yell and scream when you care. Once you stop caring, it goes in another direction. Number two, I think the big thing is, this is research from John Gottman, who's like the leading researcher. He's the best, yeah, he's great. Is that he listened to couples argue. And 96% of the time, by listening to the first three minutes, he could predict how it ended. If it starts ugly, it's going to end ugly. If you can take a deep breath, you can chill out a little bit, you're going to be so much better. Yeah. It's just that little bit, how we begin predicts how we end. And the third thing I would say is like, there's a lot of difficult stuff on love and marriage that we don't hear about. You know, it's like a lot of things, two or three years after people get married, their happiness level is pretty much where they were before. Mm. Sometimes it declines. So you got to keep it alive. And one of the things I talk about in the book is basically you got you to keep dating. The thing is when people go on pleasant dates, the research shows, eh, people got to go on exciting dates. Adventures. Adventures are key. Adventures are key. People think, 
oh, well, we did all that fun, exciting stuff when we first started dating because we were in love. It's, you know, but actually it goes both ways. You did it because you were in love, but that's also what produced the love. So if you keep doing exciting things, in psychology they call it emotional contagion. Whatever environment we're in, we kind of pick up those emotions and we associate that with who we're with. If you're at concerts, it's exciting. And if you do fun things with your partner, you can keep love alive. Mm. So you, if you do all that for the first couple of years, then you just coast. It's hard to keep the love alive from yeah. years ago, a bond. Yeah. You can stay connected, but you may not have as rich or fulfilling of a love life is what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. It's like to just to just to kind of like hit love with the defibrillator paddles and keep it going mm -hmm. where it's like, that's why a lot of people feel resentful in relationships because, oh, we used to do this. You used to do this for me as opposed to kind of keeping it going. Well, it seems to be a trend for a lot of relationships that yeah. you used to do this and the other person used to do this, yeah. but after two, five, 10 years, they stopped doing it. Why do you think so many people stop living the adventurous life in the relationship once they're together after a period of time? I mean, a lot of it is we get busy, you know, and a lot of it is people get kind of in a rut, but those ruts are really dangerous. It's like what happens is Gottman calls it negative sentiment override. And basically what that is, is basically the, the lack of talking, the lack of communication, it compounds negatively. Instead of having a conversation with your partner, you start having a conversation with yourself where they say, oh, if I raise this issue, they'd probably say, and that can spiral into negativity. Gottman talks about love maps, which is like really getting to know your partner, not how they like their coffee, not where they like the vacation, but asking them the tough questions. What does love mean to you? What does happiness mean to you? What does a great partner mean mm. to you? Because that's something you, you can never get unless you ask them and you're, you're getting the answers to the test. Mm. So what is a love map then? A love map is basically just that knowledge of your partner where you are asking, this is what makes them happy, this is what makes them less happy. But rather than, like I said, the minutia, you know, what bothers them about their day, asking them the questions that there aren't black and white answers to. What is happiness? What does love mean? What does marriage mean? Because it answers so much when you think, and we tend to think. That everyone know, thinks the same way as us, it, or yeah, exactly. the same beliefs, but we don't. And then, you're, and then you're thinking, oh, I didn't take the trash out, it's not that big a deal, because I don't think it's that big a deal. Whereas your partner sees that as a sign that you care. And mm -hmm. we just associate different values. But if you ask, you can say, maybe I don't think this is that big a deal, but they really do think it's a big deal, and vice versa. Mm. When the things that you feel Oh, they're neglectful. It's like, no, you got to tell them. They got to know. Wow. What do you think are three questions we should all know before deciding to commit to a relationship? Well, what does love mean to you? What does a good partner mean to you? You know, if it's on the way to marriage, you know, what does marriage mean to you? Because we live in a world with so many options and possibilities, and that's awesome. But that's the trickiest thing. Eli Finkel's done research at Northwestern and like what he's found is this tremendous shift where number one, over the past 20 years, you know, the importance of marriage as a relationship has nearly doubled. Before you were part of, you know, there, there, we, we used to, there was a bowling league and the old quads and people were involved in different communities. Now, so much of that has been centralized in marriage that knowing how happy someone's marriage is 
is insanely predictive of how happy their life is mm. because it has been so invested. You're so integrated into them. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. It's almost make or break. And with all these options, all these possibilities, you know, marriage has been stripped down. Like we don't have as many formal rules as we used to. There's so many positives to that, but there's also negatives too because you don't you don't you don't have a you don't have a break. You don't have a seatbelt. So give me an example. What do you mean by that? In terms of like men need to do this, women need to do this, or that that's that we don't have a template like right. we used to have. There's not traditional roles like there used to be. And that's a and that's a, that's a great thing. It's also a challenge. It's a great thing because what that means, and this is what Finkel found, is that the average relationship isn't as good as it, marriage isn't as good as it used to be, mm -hmm. but the best marriages today are the best marriages there have ever been because of the lack of formal rules. If you know what you want and you put in the work, you can create a custom script that works awesome for both mm. of you. So it's a custom script, but it probably sounds like there's still some formal, there's some agreements. Yes. To the custom script. It's not an outdated agreements yes, that was exactly. society's, yeah. it has to be this way or this way, yeah. but it's new agreements mm -hmm. that you're both in alignment to. Is that, that what we, I'm hearing you exactly. say? Exactly. That, that's, that's what we decided on. Uh -huh. This is what works for us. Nobody else wrote them for us, right. but we also didn't neglect to create them at all. We said, this is what works for us. And these are the people who are having, like I said, the best marriages that have ever existed. So what are the best marriages that have ever existed have in place? Are there roles and responsibilities? Are there shared agreements? Are they, mm -hmm. they communicate in a certain way? What are the main themes that they all have? What you see consistently is first that level of communication where again, you can't avoid it because when you, mm -hmm. we avoid it, oh, you start man. making assumptions and those are usually negative. So basically as Gottman found, it's like you have to argue, you have to fight, it has to happen. Complaining is actually a good thing in a marriage. Really? Basically, the, they, he looked at, the, like, I think, the first year or two of marriage. And the couples that complained the least, for the first two years, it seemed like it was going really well. They're the ones that divorced later because they weren't working through any problems. They were ignoring them. Mm. So the couples that had a moderate level of disagreement, they were getting comfortable. They were working out the things. They were agreeing. They were laying down defaults. And then it was okay. It's like getting settled in a new job. So there has to be a level of complaint. The only time complaint gets bad is when it becomes criticism. The difference is when you personalize it. You didn't take out the trash, that's mm -hmm. fine. You didn't take out the trash because you're an idiot, that's a problem. That's not good, yeah. When, you, when it's about an activity, that's okay. When it's about people's fundamental personality, that doesn't tend to go well. I'm so glad you're sharing this because it's interesting. Because um, I was partly like, huh, I wonder if I'm doing it wrong because I've been in a relationship, we've been together for a while now, and I said to her before we got committed, yeah. I said, the only way I'm willing to get into a new relationship, because yeah. I've been in many that didn't work out, yeah. and I was like, the only way I'm going to get into a new one is if, under a few conditions. One, the person I'm in a relationship with is doing some type of consistent therapy. Yeah. It doesn't have to be every week, but yeah. something consistently once a month, right? Yeah where they're working on their own emotional challenges. Yeah. And they're working through them and processing, yeah. healing and all that stuff. Number two, they've gotta be willing to do therapy with me in the beginning. Yeah. Because my goal is to have the uncomfortable conversations without complaining yeah. or arguing, yeah. but have them in a safer environment where we can both communicate yeah. 
and it, it doesn't feel good. You yeah. know, it's like, ah, it's a little scary, it's a little messy, yeah. but it's in a conscious space with a third party who can yeah. give us tools, yeah. who can help us then align on agreements that work for both of us. Yeah. And it's been incredible. Yeah. It's been incredible because of that shift where I think a lot of people go into therapy when it's not working to try to make it work yeah. and resolve things because they've neglected the complaining or the conversation, the communication. Yeah. I was like, let's just skip all the complaining yeah. and figure out the agreements early on. Yeah. So we don't have to get to a place of stress or yeah. not not talking about stuff. Yeah. So it's been, but we haven't been complaining with each other. Yeah. So it's kind of like, huh, am I worried that we haven't been complaining, but we've been communicating agreements and aligning to them. So it's been a beautiful thing. You, you did the work up front. I mean, up front. the biggest reason, most marriage therapy doesn't work. And one of the biggest reasons why it doesn't work is people wait too long it's too to late. go. It's too late, right? Basically, people don't wait until six years in. And actually, most divorces occur four years in. 40 years in? The four, 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 four years, years in. in. And then so by people are going, a lot of the stuff is too far gone. You know, you're, you're, already, you're already like, I'm over it. I'm exhausted. I'm, yeah. I don't care about this person anymore. I'm, I'm resentful. It's I'm, just to diverge too it's much. It's too far, right? Yeah. You, you, instead of going to a doctor's appointment, you said, let's go to the gym and stay in shape. Now. And we don't need to have, exactly. to have, to have the open heart surgery, literally, later. Yeah. I mean, and then try to recover from the wounds that are so like broken, right? Well, that, well that's what's so powerful is like you, you had someone to kind of poke and prod the two of you to open up Absolutely. and do it instead of just checking the box. We talked like you had a professional no. go, no, no, you got to open up a little bit more. And it sounds like you really laid a lot of good groundwork and got 100%, it out there. percent, yeah. yeah. And we're, you know, we're spending four to six hour sessions on Saturday sometimes yeah. just to make sure, all right, let's talk about all these things that might be, a, that might be an issue later down the line or yeah. that are unclear yeah. right now. Let's get clarity yeah. so there's no confusion. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've experienced a lot of pain in previous relationships that yeah. I take responsibility for because yeah. I stayed in these things. Yeah. But I think because I experienced so much of that, I was just like, I don't want any of that anymore. You yeah. know, I'd rather be so open, be courageous in my communication, talk yeah. about all the uncomfortable things, even if it doesn't feel good, yeah. to eliminate later pain. Yeah. You know, <laughs> dive into it now so I don't have it later. Well, I mean, you set up an environment where you were able to be compassionate with one another. You yes. had a professional there. You both agreed to this. Yes. It didn't happen spontaneously when somebody was angry. Being compassionate in the middle of conversations. Gottman talks about repair, where it's like even if you're having big problems, if you pause to be a little compassionate, to show a little respect. so hard for people, though. It's, it's well, because it, by the time anybody has a conversation, they're usually so worked up and angry already. It's mm -hmm. like you went in there calm and cool. You had a referee. And you both let it out. Exactly. Yeah. And, and letting it out in a conscious way. Um, what does the science say that you've done all the research on it about history of relationships mm -hmm. that most people don't know about? Oh, in terms of how they, they worked in the past? Yes. And then now, where we're at now, yeah. and where you think it's going to be? See, the, the interesting thing is in the past, it was very prescribed. I mean, you had arranged marriages. You know, you had everything kind of set up that basically was all formal systems. Mm. That was good for society in some ways because it kept a smooth running machine, but it wasn't really good for the individual. Even if you go back to the 1960s, the percentage of men and women who said, oh, you know, you don't have to be in love with the person you get married was staggeringly high compared to now, love is considered essential. 
that's really great, but that it, the, the challenge we're facing is we created this winner-take-all environment where in the past it was very formal, love wasn't as important, stability, rock solid. Now we want it all, mm. and that's tricky to keep it stable, to keep it safe, potentially to raise children, and also you have to fulfill me and bring me everything I've ever dreamed. And the, pro the, the thing is, we face those challenges, we can overcome them. The, the issue is that like a lot of people have fairy tale visions yes. and fairy tale visions can be problematic because they're passive. It's supposed to magically happen to me as opposed to rolling up your sleeves. Then you can have one of those best marriages that have ever existed. Right. Where both parties are doing 100% of the effort and intention, yeah. not, not waiting for the other person to give them something all day long and make them feel a certain way. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time hoping the other person will read our mind. And as opposed to when we have those conversations, like you did, where you made it right up front, it's like, not only do we kind of get the answers to the test, this is what happiness is, this is what marriage is to them, but also when you learn where people's needs are coming from, you can find a way to honor both of your values. You right. know, it's like, oh, they, they, they go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, they leave the light on, it drives me crazy. Okay, well, if you found out, that's because they had a childhood fear of the dark. Right. Now, oh, oh, I understand, oh my God, that's, People, once you understand the story, once you understand the narrative, you understand where those feelings are coming from, we get so more, compa so more compassionate, but if we don't have that conversation, mm -hmm. then we assume it's because they're out to get us and they're trying to ruin my life. Sure, sure. I've talked to a, a few people who have been married for 40 plus years who are happily married, which yeah. there's a lot of people that have been married for a long time that are not happy, yeah. right? Or that just just surviving. They're not thriving in the marriage. And I'll ask them these questions like, what is the, what's the key to being happy consistently? Obviously, it might have some ups and downs, but yeah. like staying yeah. connected and happy and yeah. you know, all those things and integrity. And almost all of them say that 80% of it is who you choose. Yeah. And I think when we don't have the conscious conversations early on, yeah. and we neglect the uncomfortable conversations early on to make sure we're in alignment with our values, our vision, our lifestyle, our agreements, yeah. When we neglect that, it just causes more pain in the future. Yeah. Right? When you keep kind of the mask of the potential fairy tale of what you think they're going to do and without yeah. actually asking the questions. Yeah. How important is it for people to be consistently having these uncomfortable conversations early on? No, it's essential. Because what you're talking about, like that issue of selection, is this person right? Mm. This is why you hear so much about people trying to change their partners. Because you didn't pick the right one. You didn't pick the right one. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you don't accept them because you didn't yeah. pick the right one. Because right. if we would ask these questions earlier in the relationships, yeah. we would be able to say, okay, separate our our image of a perfect person yeah. and say, okay, actually they don't think about money this way or they don't think about raising kids this way or they yeah. have a religious belief that it's different from mine. Yeah. And we could say, oh, you're a great person, but it's probably not the right fit for me and yeah. my life's vision. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of us don't do that. We get too chemically bonded yeah. by the feelings of love yeah. and the chemical connections yeah. that kind of cloud us from yeah. those other big decisions. Yeah, I mean, with the little stuff, like you know, how you argue, how you dispute, those you can work on. You're probably not gonna change somebody's fundamental values. So no. finding out upfront, this is what they think about marriage, this is what they think about love. You know, it's like, couples argue a lot about money. It's like, you know, why is that? Well, it's very simple. You know, it's like because money is a quantification of values. Did I spend money on things that benefit the family or selfishly benefit myself? Did I spend money on 
money is a, you get a number. This is how important this is to me. And if you're not on the same page in terms of what's important to you, it's often going to show up in terms uh-huh. of money. So it's like understanding, hey, we're on the same page. Because feelings often fade, especially if we don't work on it. But if you have the same values, then you know you're headed in the same direction. Then it's just tic-tacking to get it perfect instead of trying to close this huge chasm that you didn't know was there. So how important is values in choosing the right partner? I mean, I, I think it's critical. I mean, you can, you can make things work if you really have it, but it's like to understand. It's so much harder, right? How do you make it more effortless is by being in alignment on these things, right? What, yeah. are, the, what are the three to the five values that yeah. we should really have figured out where it's not yeah. perfect match, but you're in alignment. 80% yeah. of the values, oh yeah, that makes sense and I'm, yeah. I'm here. What are those yeah. three to five key values for a relationship? I mean, I think a big issue is the issue of like, what is success to us? You know, being able to say, it's kind of like, when are, are we on the right track when we're spending as much time together as humanly possible? Or are we on the right track when, you know, we both have a balance? Getting that issue of like, what do we value? And like, how do we honor both of those things? This is something critical that can be very difficult to figure out later on. Because one of the critical things is when people are trying to change their partner. There's a, there's a way to do this. And there's a way to do it successfully. And they actually call it the Michelangelo effect. Mm. Because it's, it's, but what it has to do with is finding out who your partner's ultimate vision of themselves is and moving them towards that. So to your point, if their values are so far astray from yours, you're actually moving them further away from you. Because if you're gonna yell at them or, 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 or chide them, that's not gonna work. But if they have this vision of who they'd like to be and you help them get towards that, it's great for both of you. Yes. But if you if your values are so different, you're you're actually hurting the relationship Father to away, make them yeah. better. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this. Assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Is it possible to change your partner then? You, you can, but it's exactly the steps that you talked about, where if we know our values are pretty similar and we know that maybe because of circumstances or lack of confidence, they're not moving in the direction that they want to move in. If you look at who do they see, not you see, who do they see as their ideal self, mm. and you start to support them in those endeavors, then they become a better version of themselves, and that is gonna make them happy. They're gonna they're gonna be likely to move forward. It's what they want. Be more grateful in the relationship for you. A exactly. For supporting them. Yeah. Yes. So it's like it's understanding where they want to go and supporting them in that, but you need the answer up front and it needs to be aligned with yours. And what happens if you try to change someone in a relationship to meet your needs and your desires of what you like as opposed to what they want? Yeah, that's disastrous. That's what most people do. And that's, and that's what doesn't work because you're trying to make them into something they're not. Best case scenario is they're not going to be very good at it. Worst case scenario is they're going to be resentful because you're basically saying you're not good enough or I don't like you as you are. Right, so you need to change to make me happier. Yeah. And, and so if you understand up front, we are both generally headed in the same direction, then helping them be better is helping them be better for you. What is a, maybe a controversial strategy or technique to making a relationship better, deeper, stronger? It's. What's really interesting is all the research on narrative, on the research on stories. And one thing that's very controversial is people often don't know the story that they're looking for. People think that, oh, I want this kind of person and they always end up with the other kind of person <laughs> yeah. and they wanna blame the world. And it's like, if you keep choosing the same partner time and time again, it's probably you. Right. You need to look at that and there's some just amazing work in terms of figuring out what your story is, figuring out what your partner's story is because some people think they're looking for a romance, they're actually looking for a war story. Some people enjoy the conflict, nobody wants to admit that. But to be honest with yourself and then to be honest with your partner and to find a partner that you're aligned with, those are the relationships that work is when we say, again, not, what, not to speculate but to look back. Not to say, well, I think, mm. no, that's rationalizing. Versus five times in a row, I did this. That's probably what I usually do. Right. You can change it. But it's like to say, this is the pattern I'm looking for. You know, what does that say about me? What do I want to change? And is that aligned with what my partner wants? It's deep, it's hard, mm. it's painful, but it's incredibly powerful. What's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself in the last few years from doing this research mm. and working on this book about how you've done things incredibly well in previous relationships and how you've 
like maybe something in the book where you're like, wow, I never did this well. And it's probably, you know, why it caused challenge in the past. Oh, just the issue of opening up. Like, really? Yeah, the vulnerability issue. Like, we know that's, I think we've heard a lot that it's powerful for romantic relationships, but it's just in, in friendships, in every relationship, you know, in work, it can be a challenge if you're in a leadership role. You do need to be seen as authoritative. But like even in your friendships, Arthur Aaron at Stony Brook University, he got people who are strangers to feel like lifelong friends in an hour by just making them answer questions that progressively had them reveal more about themselves. Wow. In, in one hour, because they had to proceed, answer this question, answer this question, and people find connections. And what's really critical there is that issue of vulnerability because if I'm just giving facts, that's fine. Similarity is very powerful. But what's more important is when I tell you something about me that could make me look bad, that maybe could be used against me, that could embarrass me or shame me, I am basically, I am not saying I trust you. I am demonstrating I trust you. I'm handing wow, you a knife wow. and I'm saying you could stab me. I trust you not to do it. That is a powerful way to demonstrate I trust you and people are likely to reciprocate. And once you escalate that, I go a little deeper, you go a little bit deeper. Now, there's, a, there's not an idea of trust, there's a feeling of trust. That's interesting. And I think you've gotta be, I think some people maybe don't do that as much as they would because they maybe have opened up or been vulnerable and had like a narcissistic relationship yes. that has used that yeah. vulnerability against them, yeah. you know, later in, in their relationship Absolutely. and manipulated them with their vulnerabilities as mm -hmm. opposed to trusted them and, and mm -hmm. held it in, yeah. with a, you know, a kindness. Yeah. So I think that's why some people might stop opening up, not everyone, but, mm -hmm. and why it's hard for people if they've been used against their vulnerability. And that's why it is tough to be vulnerable yeah. because you don't want someone to use it against you. Well, and we can mitigate that. The, the issue is, start small. Right. Start small, do they reciprocate? Don't tell them your whole life trauma right away, yeah. Don't confess to any murders you right. know, over Thanksgiving <laughs> right. dinner. You know, it's like, right. start small, do they reciprocate? Oh. Are they being vulnerable back? If they're not, then this is already feeling a little one-sided. Don't keep giving more and more, yeah. So it's like, if you start small, they give back, you know, you know tit for tat a little bit, just where you're opening up, they opening up, mm -hmm. and what you're gonna find is that that is you know, really powerful, but if they don't respond, then what's great, to your point, is then it becomes a litmus test. Okay, this relationship no is it's not gonna go that far. Right. Because they don't wanna open up to me. They don't trust me in the same way. To give so, the same way. So maybe I should not trust them at that level. Interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating. I bet that experiment, you know, if you, if you did this for a day with strangers, I bet you could get strangers to be closer friends than some people who've spent a year together with surface conversations yeah. than a day together with vulnerable, intimate conversations. This is the uh, Arthur Aaron, the same guy who did that, the one hour to, to feeling like a lifelong friend. The uh, research assistants in his lab who initially helped him with that work ended up falling in love and getting married. Come on. <laughs> because they, they had did the, soul, the same test. And they had to open up. Wow. And these people fell in love because again, we usually play it too safe. And the thing is, we, we, when, we, when we play it safe, we talk about narrow topics, we are not creating the surface area for people to connect with us. The greater that surface area, the more possibilities for similarity and the more possibilities for someone to say, 
you know what? They're like me. I trust them. This is this is worth pursuing. Yeah, let's hang out more. Let's spend more time together. Exactly. What were some of those questions in that hour long I, I experience? Mean, you they know? were they weren't anything dramatic. crazy. Really? I mean, it was kind of, if you could have dinner with anyone living or dead, who would it be? You know, if what is your idea of a perfect day? You know, they weren't too invasive. He had like three stages where they got progressively more intimate, but none of them were like talking about you know, like deep childhood trauma or something like that. It was just enough that you could say something and they could respond to it and, and they could feel a level of similarity and they could start to get an idea, again, the values issue of what, what if, you could, if you could have dinner with any person living or dead, I'm getting to know what your values are. And why do you want to, yeah, if it's like some yeah. random, I don't know, pop star that really didn't have yeah. a meaningful life, you're like, okay, that's interesting, versus, yeah. I don't know, Einstein or someone, yeah. Yeah. or ne uh, Nelson Mandela or something. Yeah. We're like, okay, that's interesting, do why? They, do they prioritize emotions? Do they mm. prioritize knowledge? Do they prioritize wow. curiosity? What, you know, who is this person? And just having that reciprocal, because both people had to answer both, both all the questions. Right. You'll see, are they actually opening up or are they kind of just keeping it safe, right? Yeah, and it was like you, you start to get this kind of pastiche. You start to see this pattern. Oh, again and again, I'm hearing a more cerebral approach uh -huh. or I'm hearing a more empathetic approach. Or... I think just doing the exercise, even if you didn't like the answers, you still probably would respect that someone was being honest and sharing an opening up about their life, about their beliefs or visions. Yeah. And you can be like, wow, it's, it's really cool we got to connect on this and it's, yeah. it's cool that you did the same thing as me, yeah. even if I don't align with you. Yeah. But it's more than people just not sharing those things at all. It can't be in surface conversations, right? Well, I think, you know, what I think you said that was critical was just that idea of respect where I might hear your answers and I might, they may not be similar to mine. They may not be relatable to mine, but I can hear you say something and I can go, wow, that took guts. That right. is not the kind of thing I would say to a stranger. Right. And he went there like- To courage. I, you can respect and be like, okay, yeah. I like that. You, yeah. you could have played it safe and you, and you didn't. Mm. Like that's, that's that vulnerability trust issue. Because when I looked at the research, I looked at like all of Dale Carnegie's stuff for making friends. And it turns out most of what Carnegie said was, was pretty accurate. Most of it was pretty accurate, but it's the beginning of a relationship. As we get deeper, what's there? We're not trying to build just acquaintances. And the two critical things were time and vulnerability. You know, vulnerability, like the issue of not only trying yeah. to empower our relationships, but also Robert Garfield at University of Pennsylvania found that not being vulnerable in your relationships increases the chance of a first heart attack and increases the chance that, that heart attack will be lethal. Come on, really? We need to open up. We need At to At least with this. someone, right? At least with one person in our lives. So when he said that the research is showing that if you're not vulnerable with your intimate partner or friendships, yeah. you're more likely to have a heart attack? Or yes, and it's more likely to be lethal. Holy cow, what is that about emotions trapped in the body or not expressed in a healthy way that Stress. makes us sick it's stress is that that issue where it was stunning to me that was it a 2009 uc berkeley study you know found that that good relationships can add a decade to your lifespan potentially a decade it was crazy and then there was a meta review where they they look at all the studies about relationships and what they found is that good relationships are second only to genetics in terms of predicting both health and longevity in humans oh my gosh yeah it's like 
it's so crazy we forget that there's little stressors that build up and when we don't have a release valve, when we can't talk about things, when we can't share things, when we can't hear that it's normal, it's okay. This is really hard stuff. You know, uh, what was it? The issue of loneliness, the stress hormones that happen, that basically because of loneliness is the equivalent of a physical attack. Oh loneliness gosh. is like getting beat up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There's a difference between loneliness and choosing to be alone, to have Absolutely. alone time, to Ab process in Absolutely. a healthy way, and to love on yourself and accept yourself yeah. versus I'm sad and lonely and no one cares about me. This was some of the most mind-blowing research that I looked at in here, was that issue of what you're describing is the difference between loneliness and solitude. Loneliness, this sounds totally crazy, loneliness before the 19th century basically didn't exist. We didn't have time to be. <laughs> we, we, we were so enmeshed in societies. Yeah. We tribes were religions, yeah. tribes, nations. We always felt a part of something. Even if we weren't close to people, and we usually were, we felt we were a part of something. So uh, Fail Birdie, who is a researcher at University of York, she looked back and you basically, before the 19th century, you can't hear it mentioned because we were always embedded in a group. When you hear the word lonely, it, it meant something by itself. It didn't have the negative stigma. Really? It wasn't until literally... Frankenstein, that you heard lonely in the 19th century start to be used as a negative thing because we had an explosion of individualism, mm. which unlocked a lot of power, a lot of great things in the world, but we felt separate. And second crazy thing, John Cacioppo, leading researcher on loneliness, what he found was that people who are lonely and people who are not lonely spend the same amount of time with others. Lonely people don't spend any more time alone. What he realized was that loneliness is not about proximity. We've all felt lonely in a crowd. You can yeah, be at, you can be in Times Square on New Year's Eve. Feel alone. And still feel alone. You can feel alone on the subway. Loneliness isn't lack of proximity to people. Loneliness is how you feel about your relationships. When you go on a business trip, you might miss your friends and family, but you know they're there. You know they're missing you. No, they don't care about you. You don't feel lonely. You might miss them. Versus if you're surrounded by people, but you think nobody cares, that's when you feel lonely. It's how you feel about those relationships. How do you shift that feeling? And what if they really don't care? You know, maybe yeah. it's all in your head and you're like, yeah, they don't care about me because they're not doing what I want or something. Yeah. But how do you shift that to create a deeper connection and feeling about you know, the few key relationships you have at least. Yeah, I mean, that's where we wanna get into time and vulnerability, those two costly signals. Spending more time? Spending, time is one of the most powerful signals in a relationship because time is, all the stuff that Dale Carnegie talks about is easy to do. That's why we like it. That's also why manipulators like it. How you show somebody that they're really special is by costly signals. If I spend a lot of time with you, if I spend an hour a day with you, I can only do that for 24 people and I've got to sleep. Mm -hmm. so that shows, says you're special. There's yeah. no way around that. Time is costly. Vulnerability, I'm telling you things that could be used against me. That, that's really, those are powerful signals and when people reciprocate those signals, we know they're serious. If they're making the time, if they're saying things that maybe they shouldn't say, then these are people who are making the effort. Mm. The other thing that's really powerful, I found this fascinating, this was just a study that just came out in 2020, was that if you're not feeling supported enough in your relationships, an easy thing you can do is introduce your friends to one another. Because the issue is, there's, 
there's a synergy. I think that, that word's often overused, but there's a synergy in that in the sense of having one-off relationships is great, but once you start introducing your friends, you're creating a community. Mm. Your friends can coordinate. Hey, Lewis is feeling down. We should take him out. Now they can work together and you're, you're creating your own group. You're creating your own community. That is so much more powerful than a lot of one-off relationships where people can't sh say, share information right. and say, this is what he needs right now. That's interesting. That's something I've kind of done intuitively for the last 15 years, which is creating individual relationships and then saying, hey, let's do a dinner together and kind of bringing everyone together. Yeah. And trying to go beyond that by saying, here's why you should know this person and here's what you can connect on and here's yeah. what they're working on and here's how you guys could align on this thing. And I think the more you put people together who can benefit each other, whether yeah. it be as friends or in business or career, you're, you're adding value to more other people yeah. in multiple ways, like you said, the yeah. synergistic ways. Yeah. I think that just deepens your connection to people too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in terms of the emotions, you know, there's no doubt of having these friends, but also in terms of life success, it's like Mark Granovetter, Granovetter did research on weak ties and where usually the things our friends know, we usually know. Uh -huh. But when you go one degree out, those are the things we're not hearing about. Those are the things we're not connected. When you're connecting people with other people that are one degree out from you, they're getting new ideas, new potential, new job offers, new opportunities. You're creating this whole network. You're the center. You're and, the champion of all these relationships and opportunities. And, and that is so valuable for both sides. Mm. It's so valuable because it's so much easier for somebody else to just say, sure, I'll come to dinner, than having to organize it themselves. People are really going to appreciate that. But mm. also, as you being the hub of the network, then all, all roads lead to you. And it usually pays dividends long term. Not that you're yeah. trying to like get something out of it necessarily. No. And I think when it's only transactional, it doesn't feel as good. But... Um, you know, I've had multiple people that have gotten married and now have kids because I've connected the dots somehow to them, yeah. whether they came to an event that I put on or I've introduced them or, yeah. you know, something. And so it's like you're you're creating a legacy in the world. Yeah. Whether you're, uh, you know, close with them or not, you're yeah. still making an impact in people's lives. And yeah. I think good things tend to happen when you impact people in that way long term. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're thinking... You're, you're starting with something positive. You're starting with good intent. Uh -huh. and then you're reaching out and doing the work. It makes such a difference. It's like, you know, there's there's a lot of places that say they want to have impact. It's like, no, let's have positive impact. Let's, mm -hmm. let's focus that right, a little right, bit right, more. Right. And it's like, to do that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, not only in terms of, again, relationships and love, but also in terms of career. One of the biggest tips that's come out of research in terms of people networking is there are some people who are super connectors. There are some people, if you look at your contact list, you will see they introduced you to a disproportionate number of the people you know. Yes. And reaching out to them is a very high leverage way to network better. By creating these things, you're not only bringing people together, doing warm things, mm -hmm. you may be helping these people get jobs and opportunities right. because you're the super connector. Yeah, Keith Ferrazzi wrote a book called Never Eat Alone, yeah. which talks about, you know, yeah. I think never having a meal by yourself, but always finding people to connect with and seeing yeah. how you can offer value and connecting the dots from previous connections. And yeah. the power that comes beyond just personal relationships, but in career business as well with yeah. that network. Yeah. No, there's, there's recent research by Nicholas Apley that basically showed we're often reluctant to even talk to strangers in a, mm. you know, in a Starbucks or something like that. We often feel like 
you know, oh, we're going to annoy them. And the truth is, that's not the case. When they surveyed people, just saying something small, wow, the line's long, or how can you relate to them? We usually feel better. And when we think about it, like again, to specific, yeah, when I did say something, that person said something, it, we overemphasize the negative. Most of the times when we just say something nice, we reach out, we feel better, they feel better, and sometimes it blossoms into an actual friendship. Sure, sure. This is powerful stuff, man. I'm curious. Um, how do you know, how does someone know when they are truly in a loving partnership and this is real love yeah. versus chemicals and illusions of love? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, there's going to be the issue of time. For the first 18 months, you, you are going to have the chemicals. But the truth is, the chemicals usually die down. You know, it's like, so in longer relationships, you know, you are gonna, you are gonna get away from the craziness. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Suffering from aches and pains? The all-new Tempur-Pedic Adapt Mattress eases your pressure points all night, every night. Now, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets at TempurPedic.com. Select adjustable mattress sets only. Lesser savings may apply. But what's really powerful, I was surprised when I looked at the issue of love as a feeling. Love makes us nuts. Love makes us absolutely crazy. When you look at the historical documents, go back to 3000 BC and ancient Wars Egypt. Wars and killing and this and that, we, yeah. we, Love was described as a malady. It was described as a sickness. Really? Yes, because it was literally a diagnosable illness. And to this day, if you just Yes, because we get so nuts. But again- We don't have reason, right? It's like, you gotta have some, some ability to not react and explode yeah. over love. And I was just like, why would, the, and the truth is it makes sense. We talked about earlier, we're in friendship with costly signals. What is a more costly signal then I am running around like a maniac, thinking about you all the time and doing everything. I'm not behaving rationally. What is that? That tells you I am invested. I am serious. I am incapable of, of, of callously taking advantage of you because I'm crazy. And they actually tested this. They looked at uh, countries and communities where it was very easy to just ghost someone and countries and communities where it was very difficult. They had strong network ties. It was hard to ghost. What do you see where it's easier to ghost? People, the, the signal of love, the craziness of love is greater because your brain realizes fundamentally, I need to boost the signal to show the other person, I am nuts about them. Love is stronger because it has to communicate. It is Holy a valuable cow. sense. It's a valuable sense to the other person that you are literally crazy about them. And this gets more to your point. The issue of 
what predicts long-term success in a relationship is you, you isolate part of that crazy idealization, idealization, seeing that person as better than they are is not only predicts happiness in a relationship, it predicts the duration and the success of a relationship. If you see your partner or potential partner as better than they actually are, makes it a better relationship or a worse relationship? It makes it better. It makes it better. You need to see them as better than they are. That is, it is the greatest hallmark of love. Really? Yeah, to, because we can get cynical. Everybody has flaws. When you start making negative assumptions about your partner, that's not a good sign. There's a strong correlation between how people feel on their wedding day and how things work out. There's when people have second, second thoughts, divorce is much more likely versus when people have that idealization. You've heard it. When people first start dating, there's, they're just, they're over the moon. This person has done everything. They've won Nobel Prizes and gold medals. They are unstoppable. Having some of that and keeping some of that a little bit of a rational positive. Because the thing is, when they, when they dive down and do the research, these people are not deluded. You realize your partner is imperfect, but you're always willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm. You always believe they have the potential. You always believe it's that issue of when they do something wrong, they must be having a bad day. You're compassionate. You give mm. them the benefit of the doubt mm. versus the idiot did it again. Those are yeah. the things. So that idealization, seeing that person as better than they are, being able to sustain that is a great sign of true love. Yeah, it's good. So how do we how do we do that without having expectations though? Yeah. Not being like, because what if they don't live up to that vision or that that ideal and they fall short of an expectation? Yeah. Do we create expectations or not have expectations in relationships? Well, first and foremost, you want to keep the communication channels open. If those are hidden contracts, I expect you to do this, but I'm not going to tell you. Then you're screwed. Yeah. yeah. Versus when we have a clear idea, this is how you defined it. Hey, this is how I defined happiness. Okay, we both get that. We're on the same page. We both know. And then we, we talk about the Michelangelo effect. You know, as long as our values are aligned, to be able to say, I'm going to go out of my way to help help this person be the best version of themselves now you're moving them in a direction that you're both aligned on you're helping them be better and be someone they want to be yeah this can make all the difference you are helping them be who they want to be but it also is they are fulfilling the idealization that you want so much what if they don't want to improve they don't want to take a look at their lives they don't want to take accountability or responsibility on the stuff that's hurting them or holding them back. Mm -hmm. And the other partner is all about growth mm -hmm. and having a positive mind frame about life and yeah. compassion and forgiveness. How do you navigate that when one wants to grow and the other one is happy where they're at? I mean, if if the gulf is too big, it's kind of like that's that's gonna be really hard. If you know if you if you really think you have that much further go and they don't, you know, that's a very difficult situation that might call for ending the relationship. You know, however, what if this is an acute episode? You know, were they always like this? Right. If so, if, if they were never wanting to improve, you were always wanting to improve, then maybe you made an error early on. If they've had a shift, then it's just maybe they're dealing with depression. Maybe they're dealing with some problems. Maybe they're feeling cynical about the yeah. relationship. That's where just the communication cycle of, okay, you weren't always like this. You are like this now. I'm not judging. I'm asking what's going on yes. so that... We can both understand each other because they have some ideal version of themselves. They do have something they want to move towards, but 
maybe they feel like that's not possible mm -hmm. or maybe they feel stuck right now. If it's not this terminal problem that's always been the case, then it's an issue of, great, let me help you gotcha. up. Yeah. What would you say were the, in the research you did were the big flags, red flags, yeah. for why this person probably won't be a great relationship partner for you long term? Mm -hmm. What are those big red flags that you think that everyone should be looking out for? I mean, first and foremost is that issue of not communicating. And that includes vulnerability. You know, if they're that, not vulnerable, then this is probably not going to work out. I mean, how do you, if somebody won't tell you mm. what they want, what they need, what's wrong, you're never going to be able to fix it. You know, it's like that communication becomes essential. You know, it doesn't have to happen all the time, everything about every, everything. But it's like getting to know what they want, where they're going, and how that aligns with what you go. If you're not communicating, it's, it's almost inevitably going to spiral down. But that's something we can alleviate. It's like that's something people can work on to, to talk and open up. It's not always easy. But, you know, Gottman talked about his four, the four things that were the harbingers of divorce. You know, he talked about the issue of criticism, you know, uh, stonewalling, defensiveness, and contempt. And what's interesting is those are all dynamics within conversations. You can often bridge the gap if, you know, when you're vetting people, you can often bridge a gap about what we're going, what we want. But if you're behaving in this bad way, criticism, you're blaming their personality, defensiveness, you always respond to them. You're, they 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 raise an issue and then you raise it escalating, escalating. Yes. Stonewalling. Somebody raises something, you just immediately shut down. And contempt. You see your partner as, as on a lower plane than you. These were the biggest things that predicted divorce. And it's not an issue of, you know, some huge gap or some difference. It was an issue of how you handled things. Just by handling things more respectfully and compassionately. That's it. It got so much it's better. the way you handled it yeah not that you know you didn't align in everything but it's how you communicated yeah. in the discomfort is what yeah. it sounds like you got to stay in the pocket you got to you got to deal with those difficulties you stay in in it, man. yeah oh man what's the um, what's your thoughts on insecurities and jealousies in an intimate relationship is it good to have insecurity and be jealous or is it more harmful to the relationship long term when someone is insecure and jealous this is such a fascinating question because I, I, I wish there was a one word simple answer. And the thing is there isn't because first and foremost, the purpose of jealousy and insecurity in a relationship is a positive one. When, when they took a group of people and they looked at who were dating and they, they measured them on levels of jealousy, then they checked back in four years later, some of them had split them up, some of them had stayed together. It was the people who felt somewhat more jealous who stuck together. Come on. The purpose of jealousy seems to be to protect the relationship. Really? Now, obviously, at extreme ends, this can be pathological. But if somebody doesn't seem to care at all and doesn't seem to do anything to defend the relationship, that's not a great sign either. So we're looking at a mid-range. We're looking mm. at a healthy amount where, hey, that sound, this seems like a negative. I, I don't want... The relationship to end. I want to protect it. That right. shows investment. Right, right. Too much, if this person is perpetually concerned that everything is a negative, this can be someone who's dealing with more, more serious issues. What about the relationships that have lasted 30, 40 years that are super happy still? Yeah. Or are they jealous? Mm -hmm. Or is it more of like, I'm investing in ways to protect the relationships, yeah. growth and fulfillment and bond, 
without being insecure and jealous that you're going off with your girlfriends yeah. or guy friends or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are those? You when you look at people who have been hap- in happy marriages for decades, it it's crazy. It's it, this is a small portion of people, but some people when they're put in an MRI scanner, their brains look forty years later look like people who are newly in love. Really? Yeah. They're, How? They're, and it's actually better because when you look at people who are newly in love, there's these positive emotions, chemicals, brains throwing yeah. up sparks. Yeah. You know, it's healing. You, you know, know, they call it's, it, they call it's, it sexual healing. Right? I mean, it's they, like this feeling. Yeah. It is. It is comparable to amphetamines. They are feeling great, but there's also the anxiety because we're always a little bit scared. What if I lose it? What if it's gone? When you look at people who have who are still in love, decades later, it's all the positives without the anxiety. You know, it's how do you get to a place of all positives without without stress and anxiety in an intimate relationship? I mean, part of that is the issue of ongoing communication, where it's like something comes up, we deal with it. When Gottman looked at what produced, you know. Great marriage. He found it was five to one. You know, five positives for every one negative. But here was the interesting thing, because that that's we've heard that a few times. What's fascinating is if you get down to like one to one, not good, one good for every bad, that's headed for a divorce. Thirteen to one was also bad. Thirteen goods for one thirteen goods for every bad was also bad. Because what that meant was somebody's not speaking up. Somebody is having issues, is having concerns, and they're and just they're neglecting not raising, their and they're letting it build up. Well, this is why, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to self-analyze myself because, <laughs> as I told uh, my partner Martha, I was like, "Listen, there's nothing you can do that will make me upset at you." I said this a year ago when we first started dating. Now maybe, you know, frustrated or you know confused or something like that or like, huh, I didn't like that. Let's talk about it. Yeah. But for me to get upset means there's something that I'm a prisoner to. I'm a prisoner to you doing something and I react to it. That means yeah. it's something I got to work on. Yeah. It's something I got to process and learn to heal and move through so I'm not triggered. I may not like something, yeah. but reacting with anger yeah. is more about me than what you do. Absolutely. And if you do something out of integrity that may be harmful for the relationship, we get to communicate it and then make a decision on what's going to happen. But me getting anger, yeah. angry, is about me and the things I need to work on. That's yeah. at least my perspective. Yeah. And that's why I said I will do consistent you know, coaching and therapy every two weeks to improve myself. Yeah. And we'll do it together so that we can talk through these things as opposed to waiting or just neglecting it. It's like a consistent communication like you said. Yeah. But the 13 to 1, I feel like we're 13 to 1. It may be more because we're in consistent conversation about maybe something that's unsettling. She does a really good job of communicating and saying, listen, hey, I want to talk to you about something. You didn't do anything wrong, but I just want to be able to talk about this. And I'm like, okay, cool. I don't need to be defensive. You're not attacking me, right? And let's address it. So it doesn't feel like a bad thing. It's just more like a, oh, we're, we're... communicating and there's some you know messiness but yeah. let's get through it and then yeah. we, we come together stronger yeah well you're 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 bleeding off all of the okay. difficulties yeah. you're, you're i mean you're doing a great job of like keeping keeping the line out of the red yes. i mean it's like by with that ongoing communication and and i mean you you are basically practicing you know cbt in yourself you know it's like cognitive behavioral therapy most proven most demonstrated method you know is that issue of it's you know is 
that basically the adversity is not what causes our emotions. Our beliefs are what causes our emotions. Mm -hmm. And when we have unrealistic, irrational beliefs, this should never happen. Nobody should treat me like this. Oh, then you can't control that. I can't control how other people act. I can't control how the world deals with me. So that issue of when you say, hey, okay, my belief, you know, this does happen. People do do this. These things do occur. You're having rational assumptions about the world and your, your feelings are never getting out of control. Right, it's never like too crazy high or too crazy low. It's like, you might have some movement, but yeah. it's like trying to have a conscious, rational thought Yeah. and not take everything so personally. It never gets to the level of anger. It stays no. at like rational disappointment. Yeah, yeah. You or, know? or I feel uncomfortable. I didn't like this feeling, Yeah. but I don't need to explode on someone. Oh, yeah, you you're, you're not demanding that the no. universe give you what you want. You have realistic preferences. Absolutely. I would prefer this. Yeah. But I'm yes. not insisting that. And so let's communicate about it, right? Yeah. yeah. Essentially, it was sad. Uh, something came up. I can't remember what you were just saying, but it came up to me that like, you know, one, one day every relationship ends in this physical world, yeah. right? It's like, and I told Martha, my girlfriend, early on, I go, you know, isn't it sad that one day I'm going to be at your funeral or you're going to be at mine? It's most likely what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. You know, if we're together for, you know, a long period of time, and I hope we are, that's probably what's going to happen. And it's sad to think about that you're going to be at the funeral of the person you care about the most. It's really sad to think about, but it brings me back into now and how can I appreciate what we're creating together right now the most, make the most of it, have great time. You know, let things go that don't matter that much. Yeah. Communicate. You're not suppress those things, but let them go or communicate through it to then align on what do we value, what are our agreements, so that we're on the same team. Yeah. And I think that perspective has given me um, a beautiful gift of appreciation. Yeah. And how important is appreciation, gratitude, and acknowledging your partner in an intimate relationship? I mean, beyond. I mean, first and foremost, you know, one of the most, look at all the happiness research. Gratitude is like the tactical number one (laughs) of like, because just that issue, uh, it's amazing because not only is that issue of you're, you're not taking things for granted, you're appreciating them. You're realizing that the world could have been differently, you know, but so many other things when we focus on that money, that thing, that achievement, it's amazing that gratitude is just a perspective shift. It doesn't it's cost anything. Simple shift. It doesn't cost anything. We just have to take the time to realize how much worse could things have been. It didn't have to go this way. And one of the things, this most of this is work by Martin Seligman at University of Pennsylvania, is that not only does gratitude help us, but one of the most powerful things we can do to, to make someone else happy is what he calls a gratitude visit, which is schedule a time with somebody, maybe it's your partner, you know, you schedule some time and beforehand you write up like a single page letter and just tell them all the wonderful things that they've done for you and how much it's impacted you and how much it's changed you and how much you appreciate it. You schedule a time, you don't tell them what's, what's going to transpire. You sit down and you read the letter to them. First off, you better have tissues because most people cry. Wow. And second off, this has been shown to increase the other person's happiness for months afterwards. How often do we feel like people aren't supporting us, don't think about us, don't appreciate us? To sit down and schedule a time and make it all about them, to have prepared, to have made a list, 
How flattering is that? And how great is that to give someone else that gift? It is one of the most powerful happiness exercises that we have for both people mm. is exactly what you said, to deliberately, consciously show gratitude that way. You know, this is something that we've been doing in our relationship every night together. We share three yes. things we're grateful for before we go to bed. Yeah. And uh, usually a couple of them are geared towards each other, right? It's like, I'm so grateful for you for doing this and I appreciate you for this. And, and um, it just, man, it just creates so much harmony in the, in the relationship. Now, I'm sure people listening or watching might be saying, well, that's, that's easy to do in the first year, you mm -hmm. know, but wait till you, have, everyone says, wait till you have kids, wait till you have, you're busier, wait yeah. till this. And I get it. I'm not saying there's not new challenges or adversity to face, yeah. but I think if this is not the baseline yeah. of what you're creating yeah. before more challenges come up, yeah. it's going to be harder when there's challenges, when you have less sleep, yeah. when you're overworked or overwhelmed because of distractions or because... Yeah big responsibilities or health crises, I get it. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important in the beginning of a relationship to set the deep foundation with time, with vulnerability, like you yeah. said, and with these practices, I love this, gratitude visit. Yeah. You know, it's the giving the gift of gratitude to your yeah. partner, to your friends, yeah. and the connection and the bond you'll create because of that is powerful. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's an amazing practice that you guys do. Mm -hmm. And Bill, you know, Having building a habit together of cleaning the bathroom is great. Building a habit like this is even better because uh, Shelly Gable at UCSB has done some really interesting counterintuitive research that basically shows for a lot of couples how they celebrate is more important than how they fight. We think fighting bad that's going to destroy the relationship. Yeah, but it's like if you're just focused on bringing up to average, you know, you got to focus on the positive. You got to increase the positives. Mm -hmm. So when couples have a great time together, when they celebrate together, that's why some people occasionally stay in difficult relationships because even though there's bads, there's also some compensatory mm -hmm. goods. Well, if we don't have the bad, but we add in the good, and she talks about that issue. It, in, in the formal terminology, they call it capitalization. Whereas, you had a good day, tell me about it. This was great, let me be the cheerleader. I am so happy for you. I am so excited yeah, for let's you. Let's celebrate it, yeah. That every day, if couples get together, how did your day go? And it's kind of like that capitalizing on those positives. You're doing a version of that where it's kind of what went well today. That Here's the things I'm grateful for. When you capitalize on that, when you become mm. the supporter, you're in their corner. You know, I am involved. I know what's going on. I'm supportive of the positive. I'm enthusiastic. I mean, that's what we all want. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Suffering from aches and pains? The all-new Tempur-Pedic Adapt Mattress eases your pressure points all night, every night. Now, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets at TempurPedic.com. Select adjustable mattress sets only. Lesser savings may apply. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. And what about the world of social media right now? Yeah. Is social media uh, in general good for a relationship or more challenging for a relationship 
when people are on and involved in social media in mm-hmm. different ways. This is one of those areas that's mixed because we hear so many negatives and it's, you know, it can be good, it can be bad. What it comes down to is we still need face-to-face contact. When you look at cancer support groups, there are some cancer support groups that are face-to-face, there are some that are virtual. When you look at the virtual groups, there's a double-digit percentage often of these people in cancer support groups who are feeling clinically depressed. When you look at the face-to-face groups, the level of clinical depression is often zero. They're less some, depressed. They might be sad from like yeah, the sickness, but not. But it's not. It's we not debilitating. Need yeah. That face to face. They have some hope. They have more connection. They have community. Yeah. Interesting. We need an element of face to face, and that issue of social media. Hey, if, if somebody's a close friend, they live three thousand miles away. Maybe the DM is the easiest way for you to coordinate. Sure. But the question to be asking is. Am I using social media in order to orchestrate and facilitate face-to-face deep connections? Or am I using it to replace them, to Mm. cannibalize them? That's really the critical thing. If you use any form of social media to organize a face-to-face get-together, it's it's a positive, no doubt. If they're 3,000 miles away, you know, hey, this is what we got until the next time we can can connect face-to-face. But when it starts cannibalizing it, when it's too difficult, oh, I don't want to get off the couch. I don't. Uh-huh. When it becomes a replacement, that's where it can become really difficult. That's where it can become problematic. We want to make sure that we're leveraging it in order to get to face to face, to get to those deeper connections. Because there's a lot of things we're going to say face to face, we're going to explore face to face that we're never going to do via text. And what about uh, when a, it's an intimate relationship and people are using social media? What are the the do's and don'ts of using social media? to either bond the intimate relationship more or that cause stress in an intimate relationship? There, the critical aspect in terms of an intimate relationship is don't keep secrets. Right. Because uh, there's, <laughs> there's one book that was written by a former divorce lawyer and he talked about how, much, how many of his cases were started by Facebook. Don't be communicating or communicating in a way that you would not feel comfortable sharing with your partner. Right. Don't keep secrets. You can communicate with an ex. If your partner knows about that, is cool with it, if you would feel comfortable showing Showing them the messages, there's not a problem. Once you're keeping secrets and saying things you shouldn't be saying, and you're concerned, if you're concerned that they might see those messages, then you might want to think twice. Yeah. Don't engage. Exactly. That's smart. Just or keep it like prayer hands. You know, just like a simple, <laughs> simple response. Like one emoji, no yeah, more. Yeah, that's it. Just like <laughs> smile, thumbs up. You know, just more of a neutral <laughs> communication. I love this. Um, I want to go back to kind of the beginning and bring it full circle. You mentioned about how the relationships that are happy. They don't maybe have traditional roles yeah. from society that they mm-hmm. live up to, but they create their own roles is what yeah. I think I heard you say. Yeah. Yeah. How important is it with masculine and feminine energy yeah. to have a certain type of role and responsibility? Is it okay for one party to be doing a lot more of the heavy lifting in a relationship and the other one less? Is it better for both parties to say, okay, here's my share of the effort and energy that I'm going to work on for logistics and house and money and food and all these other things, Mm -hmm. kids, and the other one have their kind of responsibilities and roles? How does it really work? Because it seems like 
now people can do anything they want, they can yeah. say anything they want, they yeah. can change anything they want at yeah. any moment. Yeah. Is that too confusing for a relationship without the stability of roles and responsibilities mm -hmm. that are both agreed upon? Yeah, this is why it's so hard. Yeah. This is why it's so hard. But the, the thing is, again, it comes down to the assumptions. You know, if, if there aren't clear defaults, if you're not taking standard roles, the, the first thing to remember is that as long as everybody is honest and forthright, then, then fairness is not an issue, as long as everybody's honest and forthright. If somebody wants to do more of this, they enjoy it, they, that's fine. If they don't feel like, hey, we need to be sharing this, and they're straightforward about it, need to talk, need to have a conversation, because it's not that issue, there is no default fairness, there's how much do you feel comfortable with, what value do they bring? What do you need? Because once we get so tied up into fair, mm -hmm. we all have irrational wants. We all have things that contradict each other. But we can't resolve that until we talk about it. Because some right. things that feel so big to you can feel small to your partner and vice versa. Yes. There are some things you'd, you'd be happy to do. It's no big deal. But they think it's a, it's a big lift. They think it's a big ask. It's really putting it out there because once you, once you do something more akin to what you did, where it's like you said, we're gonna go to therapy, we're gonna talk about all these things. I don't think there was probably a lot left. Things are gonna change. Mm -hmm. You know, you, the software updates. Sure, sure, sure. You know, but it's like once you put it out there, it's like, okay, I understand. This is mine, that's yours, these might change. Yes. But I think a lot of people are afraid that's going to cause conflict, so they don't wanna talk about it, so they nod their head, and that compounds. And that's not good. That's but not good. If you want yeah. the happiest relationships that we have today, it is an issue of just getting it all out there and making it clear, even if it's scary and ugly. Isn't that true? Yeah, yeah, getting it all out, not hiding anything until after you're married, and then saying, "Okay, well, here's what I really want." Then you're like, "Oh man." Well, yeah. Then, then, then you're going to be focused on changing the other person, and <sighs> that's not going to be good. This is powerful stuff, man. Um, Play well with others. The surprising science behind why everything you know about relationships is mostly wrong. I'm curious. I want people to get the book. I want them to follow you. You have an amazing uh, newsletter as well. What's the main place we can go to for the newsletter and you personally on social media? Yeah, my URL on my blog is a little tricky. So if people go to ericbarker.org, E-R-I-C-B-A-R-K-E-R.org. That'll take them to the site, That'll take right? them to my website. And okay. yeah, my newsletter comes out weekly. I'm always looking at the latest research on how we can be better. That's amazing. Um, what would you say are the the biggest, I don't know if Gottman or someone else said this, what are the, what are the besides the four horsemen, what are the biggest topics that cause the most stress that potentially end a relationship or a marriage? The topic of money, the topic of how to raise kids, religion, um, families, like how families are involved in the, the relationship, yeah. and I guess sex. Yeah. Which of those mm -hmm. are, you know, cause more conflict and divorce mm -hmm. than the rest of them, would you say? Are they all kind of equal? Uh, finances is usually number one. Why do you think money is such a big problem in relationships? I mean, first and foremost, it's because it's that quantification of values where it's just like you're seeing, first off, I mean, obviously people people need money in order to live. So that seems like a big threat. 
the other things can be worked out, you know, but when you see that your partner ideas on what is important and money is a measure of what's important are completely misaligned with yours, it, it can create an enormous amount of stress. Yeah. You know, you really see that it can feel like somebody doesn't respect if you're, if you're the breadwinner, it feels like somebody doesn't respect your efforts. Or if you're not the breadwinner, it can feel like somebody else is not doing their share to, to keep this safe and stable. So for both sides, that issue of money can be really challenging because it is an existential threat to not only the relationship, but your life. To, to livelihood, to yeah. staying alive. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited about this. I want people to get the book. A lot of good science and research in here about how to uh, you know, shift your thinking around relationships, not only intimate relationships, but friends, family, uh, colleagues as well in business. So make sure you guys pick up a copy of the book. Check out your newsletter as well. A couple final questions. Uh, this is called The Three Truths. I'm not sure if I asked you this last time. Okay. Hypothetical scenario. Imagine it's your last day on earth many years away. Yeah. You live as long as you want to live. Mm -hmm. You accomplish everything uh, that you want to do. You live a happy life. But for whatever reason, you've got to take all of your work with you to yeah. the next place. Yeah. So no one has access to this book, this podcast, or anything you've ever written or create in the yeah. future. But you get to leave behind three lessons to the world three things you know to be true from all experiences in life, what would be those three truths for you to leave behind? Do more, not less. You don't want to regret things. Number two is show gratitude. You know, it's the most powerful way to feel happy. And number three, nine times out of ten, you won't go wrong with compassion. Mm, that's beautiful, man. That's probably what I said. Before I ask the final question, Eric, I want to acknowledge you and express gratitude for the way you continually dive into research to find solutions for us. You know, you're obsessive about how to improve our lives. And this book on relationships is really powerful because people are suffering and struggling a lot in their relationships right now. It's confusing, like you said. It's there's a lot of dynamics and just understanding people and how and understanding yourself. Yeah. So I really acknowledge you for spending years on this research. Yeah packaging it in a way so that we can understand it and start applying this in our own lives. It's really powerful, man. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. And my final question, what's your definition of greatness? My definition of greatness? A feeling of meaning in collaboration with others. Mm -hmm. Like when I feel my life is not happy in the moment, but I feel like I'm doing something meaningful and it's creating a feeling of belonging. That's one of the things I talk about in the book is that issue that what most creates a feeling of meaning is a feeling of belonging. Mm. When I feel meaning in life and it has to do with connecting to others, like in the end, that's, that's you're not gonna do better than that. Yeah, there you go. Eric, thanks brother, appreciate it man. Thanks man. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys. So share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Suffering from aches and pains? The all-new Tempur-Pedic Adapt Mattress eases your pressure points all night, every night 
Now, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets at Tempur-Pedic.com. Select adjustable mattress sets only. Lesser savings may apply. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today.